Hi, and welcome to another episode of my CBT podcast. I'm Dr. Julie Osborne. I'm so happy you're here with me. And today I'm going to talk about a subject I think we all can relate to, which is sleep. Because I know my sleep's been messed up since this whole pandemic started, and it's really frustrating. So I thought it would be a good topic to address. But first, I want to read my review, like I always share about at each of my podcasts. So this week's review is from Sergeant Preston. He says, great advice. I love Dr. Osborne's podcast. Each one of them has little gems of helpful advice and it's all practical stuff. Everyone can benefit from these, whether they're dealing with big or small issues. Dr. Osborne helps you deal with your thoughts so that you can see things more clearly to balance your life. The podcast touch on a variety of subjects that apply to a lot of different situations. But even if it's not your exact situation, I find the advice always applicable somehow. Thank you, Dr. Osborne, for reaching out this way to help so many people. So, Sergeant Preston, thank you for taking the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm grateful for that. And it always makes me feel good knowing that what I'm sharing is helping. And when you were saying that, you know, it's practical advice, I mean, that was my, you know, intention as I always share that I want to teach you guys things you can use today when you finish listening. You're like, I'm going to try that tonight or today or, you know, share this with somebody that it can really make a difference and that you feel like you're growing and getting healthier and happier every day. So again, keep sending those in and rate and review on Apple Podcasts and I'm going to share one every week. So hopefully you will hear yourself or you're not yourself, sorry, but your review and it really pumps me up. So thanks again for that. So I want to talk about sleep and I'm going to definitely connect this with how CBT can work. There's actually another kind of subcategory with CBT for sleep, and they call it CBTI for insomnia. And we're going to go over what those things entail and how you can use it, not just for insomnia, but for any sleep issues you're having. And I'll talk about there's lots of different types of insomnia and just kind of clarify what you're struggling with and what can be helpful. So first, I just want to talk about the reality is, you know, the National Sleep Foundation tells us that nearly half of us don't get enough sleep which is pretty crazy, right? So in modern day society, because of night work, TV, computers, you know, cell phones, and the profound stress, especially now that we experience in everyday life, our sleep is often disrupted, usually the first thing to go for a lot of us. So it's a basic biological need, just like hunger and thirst, which I think we all know. (laughs) When we don't get enough of it, our bodies let us know that there's consequences. So sleep is a regular natural state of rest, they characterize it by a reduction in voluntary body movement and a decreased awareness of the surroundings, which is a nice place to be sometimes, right? So sleep is not a state of falling completely into unconsciousness, but rather it's an altered state of consciousness that performs a restorative function of our brain and body. So I tell everybody sleep is really the number one most important thing, period, for any of us, because our body is rejuvenating while we're sleeping. And when we get good sleep, we all know, right, that we are in a better mood, we function better, we're able to concentrate and focus better, we're not as irritable, we can manage stress better, you know, we're not as goofy sometimes, like, you know, you walk in a room, I don't know what I came here for, right? I mean, when we're sleep deprived, like, it's really hard, it's hard to manage anything and remember stuff. So one thing that's important to understand, too, is just, you know, understanding more about sleep, because I know we all just take it for granted, because it's just one of the things we do, right? So, you know, they talk about, again, that, you know, sleep is a function and a period of rest from the activities of our daily lives. 
And obviously to cruise at night, because it would be safer by staying out of harm's way at nighttime, which is an older view. But we know now, however, that sleep is much more than just a period of recuperation from the energy that we're expending during the course of our day. A great deal happens in our sleep that's vital to maintaining our health as well. And that's why it's really important to, you know, make sleep important and not minimize it. I meet too many people that are like, oh, I'm getting five hours, I'm good. And maybe you function that way, but it'd be interesting to really know, you know, what are you doing to function that way? Maybe people are drinking, you know, more caffeine than they need, you know, or really should, because that's not great for us either. And especially if we have issues with anxiety, you know, the caffeine is a stimulant, so that's going to rev up our anxiety. So it's, you know, it can just kind of be a mess. But when we do sleep, our brain produces enzymes that neutralize the damage done to our cells by molecules called free radicals while we're sleeping. You guys don't have to remember any of this, but I just thought I'd share a little something with you just to understand. So this is just one of the many things that happens during our sleep. And a research study recently suggested babies learn the placement of their own limbs during sleep, which I thought was kind of cool. So when you see their arms and feet twitching during the sleep, the brain is actually mapping out the position of their limbs and forms a new connection. So adults also use the same process to maintain existing connections in their nervous system. So other research suggests that sleep may contribute to the formation of new nerve cells in the brain. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on when we're sleeping. And one other theory I just wanted to share that's pretty compelling states that sleep allows us to process, consolidate, and retain new memories and skills. So as we go through each day, you know, we're exposed to thousands of experiences, including some that are anxiety producing, for sure. So it's during our sleep, especially in the dream stage of sleep, that we process these experiences. So if certain experiences seem critical to our lives, they're retained in the long-term memory. And if they are trivial, they are deleted and we never reach our long-term memory. They're simply forgotten. So for example, think of what you had for lunch last Tuesday. You've probably forgotten what it was, unless it was in some way meaningful. Maybe, you know, you were with an old friend or your significant other or, you know, whatever was going on at that lunch that was special to you. Because your brain processes this information and found it not to be valuable for the future decision-making if you don't remember. So after a good night's sleep, all of the clutter from the previous day has been sorted through, and only the important bits of information are retained, which is kind of cool. And now you're ready to face the new day. But think about what happens if you miss that night's sleep. This is why you can feel so overwhelmed and confused and groggy, unable to concentrate, as I was mentioning earlier, when we miss sleeping for a night. And if we go for a long period of sleeplessness, the consequences can be devastating. And, you know, I always share with my clients, you know, that, you know, in war, a lot of times when they have prisoners and they want to get information, is sleep deprivation. It just cracks people. You know, at some point, people start talking. So I know that's an extreme case, but it really has a huge effect, huge effect on us. So let me talk a little about sleep deprivation. So a common myth is that everybody needs the eight hours of sleep. And although this is probably true for most of us, because I love when I get my eight hours, but the amount of sleep needed is individual and it's biologically determined and it is different for each of us. So some people can get by with six hours of sleep and others need nine or 10. So as we grow older, we seem to sleep less, but this may be the result of our inability to sleep as we age rather than our need to sleep less. And sleep experts point out that you cannot store sleep by sleeping more on the weekends in preparation for the week ahead. So although you may feel like you're going to catch up on the weekend, and that might help a little bit, but it doesn't really fix it. And, you know, if you need eight hours and you're sleeping six every night, so you're losing two hours of sleep every night, 
So at the end of the week, that's uh, what, 14 hours of sleep that you've lost out on? Like you can't get that back. So don't fake yourself out and think you can just make up for it. You're always going to be a little behind the eight ball. So it's really important. Again, I did say that, you know, some people are okay on six, but just be honest with yourself how well you function. And if you need nine to 10, that's okay too. I think people, you know, are judgmental and think, oh, you're being lazy. You sleep too much. Like there's a difference between sleeping too much because maybe you're depressed or avoiding the world versus I just need that much to feel more restored. So you need to really assess that for yourself. And I want to note that, you know, drugs and alcohol or sleeping pills can suppress certain stages of sleep and they generate a loss of consciousness, but they prevent us from completing our sleep cycle so that the dreaming is impaired. And when we don't dream, the processing and the consolidating our memories, as I mentioned, may not occur so that we wake up tired, irritable, and disorganized the next day. We're not beginning the day with a fresh start. So drinking alcohol is not recommended as a sleep aid. If your medical doctor prescribes sleeping pills, uh, they're probably recommending that you just take them at a low dose for only a few days. There's healthy alternatives than drugs for getting a good night's sleep. I know a lot of people think, you know, I'll just have a glass of wine, it'll put me out. But research shows that when you drink alcohol regularly to sleep, you tend to wake up more during the night. And there are also studies with sleep deprivation that show that people experience progressively severe psychological and physical distress the longer they go without sleep. So, for example, people deprived of a full night's sleep, they eat more, and they show evidence that they no longer process carbs adequately so that their blood sugar levels rise. Other studies show how an increased incident of obesity in those who are sleep deprived. And over the long term, poor sleepers show vulnerability to hypertension, heart attacks, and cancer. So the day after a good night's sleep, people display irritability, impaired cognitive functioning, and poor judgment. So not here to freak you out. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that all this is going to happen to you, but it's just to be mindful. Like, you know what? Maybe I'm not taking the time to really have a good night's sleep. And a lot of people with insomnia, I know, share with me that because they can't fall asleep at the beginning of the sleep cycle, then they don't want to go to bed because it creates anxiety because you're thinking I'm not going to be able to sleep, right? So you end up staying up later, you keep the TV on or you're on your phone and the light from the TV and the phone actually tells your brain, wake up time. So you're really doing the opposite of what your intention is, which is to get to sleep. So we'll talk again about, you know, sleep hygiene which are things you can do to get a better night's sleep. So there's lots of different sleep disorders. And my experience is, you know, most people really don't take the time and get diagnosed because, again, we just minimize it or just say, you know, that's just a problem a lot of people have. Or, you know, my coffee helps me out or whatever it is that you use to cope during the day when you're asleep. Deprived that people don't take the time to go really figure out with their doctor what's going on. So. Most of the culprits that cause sleep problems for us is stress, worry, and depression. So these can be addressed with, you know, the help of a professional therapist. And there's some that are more common sleep disorders that might need some kind of medication to help out with. I'm not going to focus on those. I'll mention them. But the main one is insomnia. So it's best to look at insomnia as a symptom of an underlying problem. The goal is to find the cause, right? So there's three major types of insomnia. So one is difficulty falling asleep. Another one is restless sleep with many awakenings during the night and then early morning awakening. So medication, herbs, stimulants such as caffeine, nicotine can cause insomnia. Stressful life events can also cause insomnia, which is like a pandemic, right? And once these are resolved, sleep can return to normal. So 
you know, some issues like the pandemic, we don't know how long this is going on for. So that's why I want to teach you some things you can do now and not about waiting till this is over. Even anxiety about falling asleep, as I mentioned, cause sleeplessness. So especially if you have a long history of insomnia. Some people feel that they occasionally toss and turn all night without being able to fall asleep. This also can be a condition they call sleep state misperception. The person actually has many hours of sleep during the night, but remembers the night is one with little or no sleep. And I remember my mom used to complain about this and she'd say, I was up all night. And I really questioned, I think, you know, she did sleep. And sometimes actually my sister would be over there and said, oh, I heard mom snoring. So she didn't think she slept at night, but she had that misperception and it wasn't great, but she was sleeping. But again, that would feed into her anxiety thinking I didn't sleep all night. Oh my God, what am I going to do tonight? And then she would just, you know, ruminate and obsess about that and it became a bigger problem. So those are things that we really want to look at. So transient insomnia, which is short term, lasting for two to four weeks, is usually caused by stress, environmental noise, your room temperature might fluctuate medication side effects. So that's something you can ask your doctor if any medications might be causing, you know, your sleep disturbance. And sometimes that's just taking the medicine at different times during the day. My clients said their doctors told them to do and really helped. Chronic insomnia lasts longer than four weeks and is more complex and be caused by a variety of psychological and physical symptoms, including depression, asthma, arthritis, heart disease, kidney disease, and if you have hypothyroidism. So sleeplessness is not the only symptom of insomnia, but daytime symptoms can include feeling sleepy, anxiety, impaired concentration, your impaired memory, and again, irritability. So if you're not clear on why you're feeling a certain way, or if you're reacting to people and you're sure with them because you're irritable, you know, think about, you know, what is my sleep schedule like? Another sleep disorder that a lot of people do not get diagnosed with, it's not common, only three out of a thousand people suffer from this. It's called narcolepsy. It's pretty rare, but I have diagnosed a couple of clients that were high school age or college age that they had mild symptoms, but they just kind of figured they were, you know, not getting enough sleep or, you know, maybe they were bored in class. And so I was able to get them to go do a sleep study and we found out it was narcolepsy, which is a great thing to find out so you can get treated because it usually takes people. I think approximately eight years to get diagnosed with narcolepsy. So that's an important thing to rule out. Another sleep disorder is restless leg syndrome. So this is when you have discomfort in your legs, which is relieved by moving them or stimulating them, but then it's a really hard to fall asleep. So that's something to get checked out too. And then the other one that I think a lot of us have heard about because they advertise it on TV is sleep apnea, right? So it's a sleep disorder that is accompanied by loud snoring. And then there's brief periods during the night in which breathing stops. So these are things you can get, you know, addressed with, with your doctor and get some help. I know a lot of people with sleep apnea said once they got on a sleep apnea machine that, you know, they felt like a different person. And I know there's a lot more apnea machines now that are way more comfortable than what they used to have out there. So don't avoid that because you're worried about the machine, but, you know, go talk to your doctor and see what can help with that as well. So I gave you a little bit of history. So let's talk a little bit now about how cognitive behavioral therapy can help with insomnia and what sleep hygiene is. So to do our review of CBT is your thoughts create your moods, which affects your behaviors and your physical reactions, right? And they're all connected. And then we have our environment. So if someone is having insomnia and we're doing a thought record where we're writing down your thoughts and addressing all of that, we usually come up with the half thoughts, which are not 100% true, right? Is that, you know, I won't be able to sleep tonight. 
I'm going to be too stressed out. I'm going to worry about it. Then I'm not going to be feeling good tomorrow. So all of these thoughts create the anxiety. So now when you go to bed, which is supposed to hopefully be your sanctuary, right? That, oh, I get to go to bed. I love my bedroom. My bed's comfortable. Now it becomes the anxious place and they'll avoid their bedroom and they'll end up maybe sleeping on the couch every night. And not that you can't sleep on the couch, but you're probably not getting as much of a restful sleep. A lot of times people wake up in the middle of the night when they're on the couch, right? And try to get back to sleep. So the thoughts you're having because of your physical reactions of not sleeping now causes your mood to be anxious and your behavior is to avoid the bedroom, right? And then that's your whole environment. So it's not that you're looking forward to it. So with the CBT, you know, we first look at doing the fall records to address the hot thoughts and have more of a balanced thought. And then the other big thing is what I call having an action plan, which I love action plans, which is coming up with, you know, a plan of action, right? So when I can't sleep, what are some things I'm going to do? What can I do to get prepared for sleep? What can I do during the day, right? So there's so many things that can help. So that's where sleep hygiene comes in. So sleep hygiene is what am I going to do to get myself ready to go to bed? So things that you want to make sure is that your room is at a comfortable temperature, a little more on the cooler side usually is good for people. You want to make sure your bed's comfortable. You want to make sure your room is really dark. Okay. You want to eliminate the TV. You want to eliminate your phone. If white noise helps, like a fan, or you want to have, you know, the window open with some breeze coming in, those things are fine to do. But the other things that I talked about are really important to look at. So you want your room to be really dark. A lot of people have, you know, old beds (laughs) they're not comfortable in. If you need to get a new mattress, preparing yourself for sleep. Some people will drink some, you know, chamomile tea. Some people like taking a bath or a shower. If you have a jacuzzi, you can go in. That's always nice to relax you. You want to be mindful if you're going to watch a little TV, if you can stop like 30 minutes before. When you are watching TV, be mindful that you're not watching the news or maybe, you know, thriller show or, you know, there's a lot of stress involved because that kind of gets us revved up and going. So be mindful, maybe, you know, watching a comedy before you go to sleep or something really lighthearted is good. And then that 30 minutes before you turn off your TV, your phone and, you know, reading's always great. That can make us sleepy. And if it's not something too intriguing, you know, to keep us going, that's something you can do too. Obviously meditation would be the first choice if, you know, you get into bed and that 30 minutes is you relaxing, doing some deep breathing exercises and getting ready. It's like you're getting ready to go to bed instead of just turning off your life and then jumping in bed. That doesn't work for most people. And then a lot of times, which is really frustrating, right, is you're exhausted and then you get in bed and then you're sitting there staring at the ceiling and you're like, I can't go to sleep, but I was just exhausted 10 minutes ago, (laughs) right? So that's that insomnia that kicks in. So that's why we want to try to prepare ourselves for sleep. And then if you are laying in bed, you only want to stay in bed for about 20 minutes if you're awake and you can't sleep. At that point, you want to get out of bed and go to another room. And that's where maybe you can read something that's maybe a little boring or do a little, you know, chore in the house that's going to make you, you know, feel a little tired, and then go back to your bed and try again. You don't want this association with not sleeping and your bed. You know, your your bed is for sleep or sex, and that's it. If you're having a hard time with insomnia, you don't want to use it for anything else. So that's why you want to leave the room and come back and find what works for you. A lot of people like aromatherapy, which is a nice thing. You could have next to your bed. That can help you. So whatever you find works well, But the basics you want to stick with is what I mentioned earlier about getting yourself ready for sleep. That's really important. And then also I wanted to mention, once you're in bed, again, doing the relaxation techniques I've talked about before, 
regarding breathing, muscle relaxation, progressive muscle relaxation. Those are all things that can calm your body. And if you have thoughts about things you need to get done, you know what? Have a notebook next to your bed and write them down. So if I'm like, oh my God, I forgot I have to do this tomorrow and I write it down, then I'm not worrying about forgetting it, right? So I have it on my pad of paper next to my bed and it's written down and it's done. Some people I know with the phone that they actually put their phone outside of their room charging for the night because it's too, you know, easy to just grab it and to look through it. And again, with that white light, it's like my brain's like, oh, wake up time. And then that's going to affect me being able to fall asleep as well. So these are some tricks of the trade that can help and how CBT is definitely the recommended therapy for insomnia. I see a lot of people that come in for insomnia. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we also want to get to, you know, what's the underlying factor? Like, why is my sleep been messed up since this pandemic is because it's brought, you know, concern, anxiety about when's life going to get better and worried about not getting sick and my family members and clients and, you know, all those things. So that's, I know that it's changed since the pandemic and it's been getting better as I've been practicing what I'm preaching to you, that those things are important. And then anything else that could be going on again. If you're on new medication, definitely reach out to your doctor because that could be a factor. And if you're willing to to decrease your alcohol or eliminate it and caffeine, don't drink any more caffeine after 12 o'clock if you're having a hard time sleeping. The other thing that's really important I didn't mention yet with insomnia is this. You want to go to bed at the same time every night and wake up at the same time every morning. And yes, that's even on the weekends. (laughs) So I know that's a bummer, but if you're really struggling with this, that is highly recommended because you want to be in a good sleep cycle. Because even if you're taking some sleep medicine, you know, from your doctor, it is not supposed to be long term. I know some people that have taken Ambien for a long time and one day it just stops. They don't know why. I don't know why, but it just stops. And then they're panicking because now what am I going to do? You don't want to get dependent on anything to put you to sleep. You want to be able to create that for yourself. So, if it's prescribed and you know your doctor's following you, I'm not saying that's a problem, but just be mindful that maybe I'll use it for a little bit to get my sleep cycle you know, back on track. And then I want to start weaning down and doing things I know I can do. I have some control, right? And I always talk about when you focus on what you have control over, you're going to have less anxiety. If you're dependent on a pill to go to sleep, you're not controlling anything. And then you don't feel like you have control to sleep on your own. And then that feeds into the anxiety, right? So there's lots of that going on. Another thing is exercise during the day is a great way, you know, to get your stress out, but also make you more tired at night. If you're having insomnia, you don't want to work out after like 7 p.m. because it takes our bodies a few hours to kind of get back to like that equilibrium, you know, because we got that adrenaline going. So exercise is another great, even, you know, anything, walking, you don't have to be killing yourself at the gym, but anything that helps during the day is also a really great help for it. And then something else you can do also, and some people use a sleep log. So they'll write down what time they went to bed, what time they got up. And then they'll say, you know, what kind of sleep was it? Was it restful sleep or not? And you can share that with your doctor. I don't use a Fitbit, but I know people that have Fitbits and they said they have found that helpful to really give themselves a sense of how long they slept. I don't know how exact it is, but it can give you at least a rough estimate. So for those of you that don't think you're sleeping during the night, this might let you know like, you know what, I am sleeping about six hours, which might make you feel better versus thinking, oh my God, I didn't sleep at all, right? So I know I've gone over a lot of tools, which is, you know, the more the better, but as I always tell you, you know, pick what works best for you. Not every tool is gonna work for you. 
not every relaxation tool is going to work for you. You know, using the apps. Some people love, you know, using Calm or Headspace. Or I know there's a million of them out there that are specifically for sleep as well. Those might really work for somebody. Maybe not for everybody. So again, you got to figure out what works for you and that's okay. Whatever works for you is good. So obviously getting a good night's sleep is essential to achieving a healthy, happy, and well-adjusted life. You know, we all function at our best when we sleep well. You know, unfortunately, again, our technology, you know, serves to disrupt our sleep. And that's why we want to be honest with ourselves and come up with a better way of getting ourselves that rest we need. But many of the sleep problems can be addressed by working with, again, a therapist, especially if they involve anxiety, stress, worry, addictive behavior, and mood disorders such as depression. You know, there's no reason to rob ourselves of the joy and the clarity of mind and positive energy that can come from some sound sleep. As always, I hope what I've shared today has been helpful and that you will be sleeping better very soon, hopefully tonight. If you have any questions or need me to clarify anything I said or you want just more information, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. I would love to be able to be there for you. And again, I encourage you to reach out through my website at mycognitivebehavioraltherapy.com. You can follow me on Instagram at mycbtpodcast. You can find me on Facebook at Dr. Julie Osborne. My email and all my information is also on my website. And then my email for my podcast is mycbtpodcast at gmail.com. So I am definitely available in lots of different ways. (laughs) And I'm hearing from people from all over the world right now, which is really cool. And I just want to be there for you guys. And again, give you some tools that you can feel you can walk away with. So I want to end with my mantra, which is making decisions based on what's best for you, not how you feel, which really pertains to getting good sleep and continue to stay safe and well. And I look forward to sharing my time with you next week. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to this episode of My CBT Podcast. Whoa, Poe Productions.